0: Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's so good to be sharing with you today. I want to add my welcome. And uh, particularly if it's your first time with us or you're new to Bridgman, it's so good to have you here. For those joining us online, a really warm welcome to you as well. Today we're continuing in our series in the book of Joshua. And we're up to Joshua chapter 5. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can turn there or on your devices. It'll come up on the screen so you can follow along as well. Uh, Recently, uh, my kids were watching an episode of Toronga Zoo, a TV series, and I was in the kitchen doing something, and I happened to catch a glimpse of this part of the episode where some of these zookeepers were facing their fears. Some of these zookeepers had fears of particular animals, and there was two who had a paralyzing fear of spiders. And so one of the zookeepers who was helping train these these, um, other zookeepers... He had arranged to get uh, what looked like a very big hairy black spider in um, in a say in a clear plastic secure container, and the idea was that they were going to face their fears and try and you know take some steps towards overcoming this fear and so the first zookeeper keeper came forward absolutely petrified at the thought of this spider um, being near this spider, but managed to sort of hold the container with arms out here and looking away, eyes closed sort of managed to hold it and uh, take a little step towards overcoming this fear of spiders. The other zookeeper was so petrified, all she could do was literally just sort of stick her foot in the door and have a peek, and then she was out again. That was all she could do, absolutely paralysed by this fear. But for all of us, we know the power that fear can have over our lives, the way it can paralyze us and hold us back. And really, when you look at, at this Um, section of scripture we're going to look at today, it's actually addressing or talking about how do we move from fear to faith? How do we not allow our self-doubt, our insecurity, our uncertainty hold us captive in our lives? How do we no longer let the lies of the enemy, um, that that thoughts of um, unbelief and fear, how do we stop that from holding us back but instead step forward in faith and trust In what God is calling us into. And Joshua 5 really is the climax of this whole story of Joshua. Now, don't miss next week, come back next week for the Walls of Jericho. Amazing Joshua chapter 6. You might think that is the climax, but actually, here we're going to see is actually the the climax point for Joshua because of an encounter. That he has. And, and more than that, Joshua 5 reveals to us how each one of us can move from fear to faith. We really see the key to this in Joshua 5. So let me read this uh, to you. You can follow along together. Joshua 5, reading from verse 9, it says this Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Jesus went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is God's word to us today. And we see here that Joshua has this very strange, unusual encounter with a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. And believe it or not, I actually have a little bit of an idea of how Joshua may have felt in that particular situation. Recently, I had the privilege of traveling to the Solomon Islands to speak at the Graduation of the Ferribu Bible School, I travelled with Nick Pillager Burns, a builder in our church, and with Josh, my son. We went there uh, for the graduation, but also to look at what needs to be done for some future building projects, future ministry teams as well. When the graduation had finished, we came back to Honiara. We had an afternoon, a Saturday afternoon in Honiara before we flew out the next day. And so we're thinking, what, what should we do? We've got a little bit of spare time here. And we decided to go and visit a war museum, an outdoor, open-air war museum, which had some amazing artifacts, around 20 kilometers drive out of Honiara. And uh, so we hired a car, thinking 20 k's—that's not far. We'll duck out there, have a quick look, and come back. We did not take into account the conditions of the road: uh, lots of potholes and dirt patches and things. And so, about 50 minutes later of driving through some, getting more and more remote. Uh, Further and further from the Honiara City Centre, we eventually came to this little path that Nick's GPS was telling us was the right path to turn down towards this war museum. Now, I want to tell you, it did not look like the right path. It was tiny grass overgrown, dirt and grass track is what it looked like to me. But the GPS said it, but there was two young guys standing on the corner of this track. As we thought, let's just stop and ask them and they'll confirm for us. So we put down the window and asked these two young guys, is this the way to the Villu War Museum? Their English wasn't great, but they said, yes, this is it, but you must give us some money. You must pay us to go in. Now, I'm not the most experienced traveler, but I'm thinking this, this doesn't look legit to me. I think they're just trying to get some money off us. So I said, you sure we give you the money here? They said, yes, we give you the money, 100 Solomon dollars each for each person going in. And uh, no signs anywhere. And I said, how about we give you the money when we come back out? How about that? I thought I was being pretty smart there. I'm going to come back out. We'll give them the money. They said, no, 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 you give us the money now. Now, again, inexperienced traveler, I thought, I don't think this is legit. I'm going to stick to my guns. I said, no, we'll pay you on the way out. And we began to drive away. I looked in my rear vision mirror and I noticed that the two of them were following us down the track behind the car. And I began to pray in that moment, Lord, please help us. In this moment, and I began to drive a little bit faster down this dirt track. We keep driving, and God answered a prayer because somehow Nick spotted this sign up behind the trees. I don't know how he spotted it, that said the War Museum. He said, "There it is! There it is!" So we pulled off into this open air War Museum with all these artifacts in it. And um, when we got there, I was so relieved to see another car parked there. I thought, "Thank goodness we're not on our own here." Um, and we got out, and there was another some other tourists there. Um, from New Zealand, I think they were from. We chatted to them and I said to them, did you pay the money to the guys in the corner back there? They said, oh yeah, yeah, we gave them money. This is their land, they're looking after it and we give them the money. I'm thinking, oh no, what have I done? Like, I've really upset these young guys. This is their land, what am I going to do now? And then I noticed there was another Solomon Islander lady who was there and she was looking after everything. And so I went up to her and I said, oh, you know, do you, do you work here? And she said, yes, this is my family's land. Uh, we look after it, and she was able to give a whole heap of helpful information. I said, oh, look, there was two young guys on the corner. They were asking for the money. Well, were we meant to give them the money? She said, no, don't give them the money. Don't give them the money. Take a photo of them. Report them. They're not meant to take the money. Um, now I'm really confused. She said, you're meant to give the money to me. She said, I'm meant to take the money. I'm thinking, Lord, help me in this situation. So this looked legit, so I gave her the money instead. I said, okay, here it is. And she was great. She took us around showed us. When we came to leave, we got in the car, we reversed out, and as we went to drive forward, about 100 metres in front, at the gate, the entrance, there was a man standing across the entrance, blocking the entrance, and he had a machete in his hand. And he didn't look too happy either, I want to tell you, he didn't look too happy at all. And behind him, I saw two young guys walking, and I thought, this is it, we're in trouble now. And I didn't know what to do, I began praying a lot more what are we going to do, God, in this situation? The lady came over to say goodbye to us. And, you know, we said goodbye. And I pointed out the guy in front. I said, what do we do now with this guy? And she looked very concerned. She said, don't go anywhere. I will get my son. Don't go anywhere. She jumped on her mobile phone, as you do in the middle of nowhere, jumps on her mobile phone. And like a scene out of the movie, this is no joke, like a scene in the movies, out of the bushes behind us come these three young, strong, fit guys. And they were ready for business, I want to tell you. They said to us, don't you go anywhere, stay here. And they marched down this road towards this man with the machete. We are thinking, what is going on? What have we gotten ourselves in the middle of here? This is crazy. Praying like crazy. They have a conversation down there at the gate for a while. We're sitting there waiting, waiting. Next minute, we get the wave through. Come on through. It's all good. So tentatively, we're driving up and out through the gate. As we got up to the gate, the man with the machete, he was thumbs up and smiling, saying, good on you. Come on through. It's all good. Now... Praise God that we got out of there. I want tell you, we did not turn back. We head straight back to hotel. We didn't do any more tourist activities at all. We stayed very safe from that point on. But as I read this passage, I feel like I have a little bit of an inkling as to maybe what Joshua was thinking as he stood face to face with this man with this sword, uh, what emotions, what thoughts might have been going through, through his mind? So we have to ask ourselves, what is this unusual encounter that Joshua is having all about? We, we read here that Joshua goes you know, now near Jericho, that he goes out to look at the city. He goes to look over it. And, and Jericho, we know, was a huge city, a walled city, fortified. Humanly speaking, an impossible city for the Israelites to handle. But this, remember, was not the first time that Joshua had been to Jericho. The reason he probably went out to look is because he had been in this same place 40 years earlier, if you remember. It's really important to understand this if you're trying to work out what's going on here. 40 years before the Israelites had come close, had come to Canaan, had got near, very near to Jericho. Moses sent the spies out, as you know. Joshua and Caleb were among of that. They stood in front of Jericho. They checked it out and they saw how huge Jericho was how fortified it was and 10 of the spies came back spreading a bad report saying to the people there yes the land flows with milk and honey but there are giants in the land the cities are fortified and very large we can't go in they were full of fear they said there's no way we can go in Joshua and Caleb said no God is with us we can take it And the people, though, they they cried out against Moses and cried out against God, said, God, why have you brought us here? Why have you brought us to this point only to die by the sword? And Joshua and Caleb said in that moment, Numbers 14, they said to the people, do not rebel against the Lord by being afraid, is what they said. Do not rebel against the Lord by being afraid, for the Lord is with us. But it says the whole assembly talked of stoning them. We don't often think of our fear as being rebellion against God. But the reality is is that our fears can often lead us to rebel against God, to not allow Him to have His way in our lives. Our fear of losing control of our lives. If 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 I step forward, if I trust God in that area, our fear of being vulnerable if we follow God's prompting, our fear of failure, our fear of missing out, on something if we follow God's plan. Our fear of what others will think of us if we were to do that. And the list goes on and on, but our fears can so easily stop us and are often the reason that, that prevents us from stepping forward in faith and obedience. And this is exactly what happened to the people of God 40 years earlier. They allowed their fear to take hold, to control them, and they refused to go into the land. And the outcome of that as we know, is that they would end up wandering the wilderness for 40 years. A whole generation would miss out on the blessing of stepping into the promised land, except for two people, Joshua and Caleb. And so here we are, 40 years later, they come in. Joshua is now an old man. We know Caleb was 85 years old. Joshua was probably around 80. He comes in again. He goes out to look over Jericho, to look over the city. He's remembering Everything that's taken place, the amazing things that took place 40 years ago, all that God has done, and he looks out over the city all by himself. He's all by himself. He looks out over the city. Why would he do that? Why would he go out? Well, he is remembering. He's looking, and he's looking out, I'm sure, asking God as the general of the Israelite army. Joshua is the general of the army. He's looking out over this city where that he is in charge of a very average army, an army that's not particularly well equipped. They've been wandering around the wilderness for a long time now, how and thinking to himself, how on earth are we going to do it? How are we going to take this city, God? How are we going to get past those walls? How are we going to possibly get the courage to do it? How are we going to get the way to do it? And it's in this place that he has this amazing experience. He sees this man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand, ready to attack. And this man would have been pretty impressive if, when we... They're going to see who who this person is, a very impressive in front of him. And what does 80-year-old Joshua do in this moment? I want to tell you what I would do in that moment. I can tell you firsthand, I would run and hide. That's what I want to do in that moment. I wasn't sticking around. But Joshua doesn't. It says in the passage that he went up to the man with the sword in his hand. And when it says he went up, that's a metaphor for saying he went up to challenge him. He goes up and he gets in the face of this man standing in front of him with the sword. 80-year-old Joshua, picture this, has his hand on his sword. He's ready to go, this guy. Incredible faith. Incredible courage. But as far as Joshua is concerned, the battle is already begun. It's already started. Here we go. And God's already won the battle as far as he is concerned as well. So he says to this man, choose this day. Either you can fight me, you've got two options, either you're for me or against me. You can either fight me, he's saying, to the death now, or you can bow the knee to me, to me and be part of this battle because I'm the general of the army. What are you going to do? What are you going to choose? Talk about no fear. Joshua, the faith that he has over this, all this time that, of trusting God, but the man with the sword looks at him and says to him, neither. He says, No. Joshua says, I've given you two choices. And the man says, I reject both of the options you've given to me. He says, I'm not the kind of person who's for or against anybody. People are for or against me, is what this person with the sword is saying. And then he says these words, But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And immediately we read that Joshua hits the dirt in that moment. He is on his face before this person and he says, command me, tell me the message. What is the command? What do you want me to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So what does all this mean? Well, we need to to understand this begin by, by asking the question, who is this commander of the Lord's army that Joshua is coming face to face with? Over the years, many people have said, well, this is an angel that's appearing to Joshua in this moment. But across Scripture, we see that people don't bow down to angels. And if they do bow down to angels, the angels say to them, quickly get up, get off, get off the ground, don't worship me, worship God. We see that again and again. And not only that, we see that um, Joshua says that he bows down in reverence, which means to bow down in worship. And even more than that, we read that the, uh, this, this person in front of him says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. In other words, He is in, Joshua's in the presence of the holy, the uncreated. You see, this person is not an angel that's standing before Joshua. So who is this? What you have here, and not just here, a number of places across the Bible is where there is a being who is called the angel of the Lord who shows up at different times. And the angel of the Lord is not an angel, just to really confuse us. The angel of the Lord is not an angel. The angel of the Lord does get worship and speaks as if, He is God. The angel of the Lord is a preliminary manifestation of the eternal word, of Jesus before his incarnation. And these encounters across scripture are called theophanies or Christophanies, where the very presence of Christ appears to people. There's a number of, uh, quite a few examples of this across scripture. Let me give you a couple. In the book of Exodus, for example, when the burning bush happens, Moses speaks to God in the holy place And if you read carefully in Exodus 3, you will see that it says, The angel of the Lord spoke from the bush. The angel of the Lord said, take your shoes off. You're in the presence of the holy. You're in the presence of the uncreated. You're in the presence of God is what is is taking place here. Another example is Gideon. The angel of the Lord also appeared to Gideon when he's hiding in the winepress. And uh, the the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. To Gideon hiding out, stop hiding in fear. He says, go in the strength you have, I am sending you. Another example. One more is the angel of the Lord appearing to Hagar at the spring in the desert. Hagar is running away in fear and shame. And the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, "Why, why are you running away, Hagar? Go back. I am with you. I will increase your descendants so much they'll be too numerous to count. Go back. And often the angel of the Lord appears to people to give them courage, to strengthen them. When they're overcome with fear or overwhelmed by what stands in front of them, the angel of the Lord appears. So this person with the sword is the angel of the Lord. It is Jesus himself before Joshua. And the first thing we see here is that there is nothing warm and fuzzy about coming face to face with the angel of the Lord. There's nothing warm and fuzzy about coming to face to face with the exalted Christ like this. Often we have the image portrayed of Jesus that he is meek and mild and harmless. This is often the picture that is portrayed, but that is not the picture of Jesus we have in Scripture. Yes, he is loving and he is gracious and he is kind and he is humble, but he is a mighty warrior, I want to tell you. He is strong and powerful. He strikes fear into the hearts of those who encounter his presence. This is who Jesus is. And the first point of this, if we are to move from fear to faith, we need to have a correct understanding, a full understanding of who Jesus is, how mighty and powerful he is. To understand that he really is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the supreme one over everything. Last year, a young man called Jesse came to faith here uh, at Bridgman and was baptised. And in his story, he shared about a vision of Jesus that he had. Uh, Let me read you just a little of his testimony that he shared the night that he was baptised. He says, My story is, I'm 35. I was born and grew up in India in a Sikh family. I came to Australia when I was 19 by myself. I've been an atheist all my adult life until recently. I've been married and divorced, I have no kids, I'm a compulsive gambler. I met Craig, my friend, at a Red Hill 12-step fellowship group on the 12th of May, 2023. I was in a real mess and I was seeking help due to my addiction. Craig had introduced me to Matt to be my sponsor and to do the 12 steps with me, which enlightened my faith in God. One day, around that week, Craig invited me to the church. I had never been to church before in my entire life. When I came to church, I was emotionally broken due to my addiction. I was scared of myself, of ever having control over it. I was really powerless and asked the pastor, Pastor Jody, to pray for me. And she invited me to pray as well. And as I started praying, Jesus, if you're here for me, please help me. In that moment when I closed my eyes, I saw Jesus in warrior form. When I told the pastor about that, she told me that it means Jesus is telling you that he is here with you to fight over your addiction. And Jesse then says, coming to church has shown me the path and given me the confidence in life that God has the power and Jesus is with me and has plans for me. This is why I'd like to devote myself to him and get baptized. Isn't that powerful, church? Amen. Praise God. This This is who Jesus is. Mighty warrior, general, king. At his baptism, I read this scripture from Revelation 19 because it's where my mind went when I heard him share his story. This is what Revelation 19 says about Jesus. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is who Jesus is. This is who our Saviour is. You see, if, we need to, if we're going to move from fear to faith, we need to, we need to keep front and centre our understanding of who Jesus is. We need to understand this is who he is, the risen, exalted one, the mighty warrior, strong and powerful, commander of angels' armies, the one who fights for us, fights over us, as Jesse discovered in his own journey. Hudson Taylor, the great apostle to China, said that the issue is not greater faith, but faith in a great God. What is your picture of who God is, of who Jesus is this morning? But there's more in this encounter. We also see here that more than just a warrior, Jesus is absolutely holy. When Joshua comes into the presence, what does he do? He hits the dirt before him and the instruction he has given is to take off his sandals. Why take off your shoes? The reason is because his shoes are dirty and he's on holy ground and he has to cleanse himself. And a symbolic way to do that is to take his shoes off. He's in the presence of the holiness of God. So what is the holiness of God? Well, the, holiness, the word holiness is used to describe the absolute moral perfection of God. It's used to describe his righteousness, his perfect purity, that he's completely without sin, completely separate from anything that, that is sin. But even more than that, it's speaking about God's transcendence to that sense in which God is far higher far beyond, far separate and superior to anything there is in the created realm. He is off the scale, so to speak, um, incomparable, matchless, unrivaled, all those words just, just so far beyond ourselves. And holiness is the only attribute of God that is ever raised to the third degree of repetition in Scripture. Right? The Bible doesn't say God is mercy, mercy, mercy. It doesn't say that he is love, 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 or justice, 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 or wrath, wrath, wrath. But it does say that he is holy, holy, holy. This is a dimension of God that consumes his very essence. The Bible tells us that what makes him God is not that he is powerful, not that he is wise, not that he is loving, not that he has power, not that he is just, but that he has holy power. That his love is a holy love. That his wisdom is a holy wisdom. That his justice is a holy justice. Right, as soon as you put the word holy on God, that means that that God is just off the scale. Too far beyond for us even to comprehend in our minds. So if you want to understand him as holy, if you want to see him as holy, you have to see him as infinitely above and beyond you and me, so far beyond us. But this is the key. To moving from fear to faith, to grasp, to understand the absolute holiness of God. If we don't understand the holiness, his holiness, we cannot understand the depths of his sacrifice and love for us that we just celebrate in communion. If you don't understand the holiness, you won't grasp fully this love that casts out all fear, just how deep it is. And if we don't understand his holiness, we can never understand that God is far greater, far more eternal, far more sovereign, far more wonderful than anything this world can offer you or anything this world can take from you. He is everything we need. And even more than that, until we understand his absolute holiness, we will come to God wanting him to be our assistant, wanting him to be our advisor, wanting him to be our consultant, we want him to help us achieve our plans, to help solve our problems, we want him to do some things for us, to get where we want to go, we come to him conditionally. We so often do this with our own agenda, but do you see, we can't come to a holy God that way, he can't, we have to hit the dirt when we come into the presence of a holy God. You know the Easter story you you might know of the the thieves who are on the cross with with Jesus, one on each side. One thief who uh, we we could call the bad thief who, who doesn't turn to Jesus, the other who does turn to Jesus. But the first guy, the bad thief, says to Jesus, he's hanging on the cross about to die, he says, if you're the son of God, get us down, then I'll believe in you. Right? He's saying, I've got an agenda, I'm coming to you. I'd like to live, I'd like to survive, therefore would you please help me is how that thief comes. The other thief says, as long as you are with me, as long as you're with me, I know I'll be safe, I'll be secure. The first thief is saying to Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, are you for me or against me? The second thief realizes and says, I realize the real question is not whether God is for or against me, but whether I'm for or against God. That's the real question. I read a quote a while back. Um, that stuck with me. Um, It says this, most people want Jesus as a consultant rather than as a king. But he doesn't come that way. You can't come to a holy God in that way. You can't come to the Commander, the Lord of hosts. You can't come to the real general that way. We have to come on his terms, not on ours. But this is the key to moving from fear to faith. Because I can tell you now, That if you are gripped by fear, if you are paralyzed by fear, it's because you are the general and you want Jesus to be your lieutenant. You're the one. You want to be in control. You want to be in charge. You want to be the one calling the shots. And that's why fear has a hold of you. Because if you're in that spot and you're not meant to be there, I want to tell you, it's a place where... It's it's full of fear, full of worry, full of anxiety. We wonder why we live in the age where there's an anxiety epidemic. It's because we want to be the generals of our own lives, don't we? We want to call the shots. But instead, it just leads to fear and worry and anxiety. Instead, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Lay down your plans. Bow to me. Allow me to be the king, the general of your life. And this is the key, we need to come afresh. We need to do this regularly, don't we? Daily, come and lay down our plans, lay down our dreams, lay down our agendas, lay down our fears and our burdens, the things that we're trying to control. Instead, lay them down and affirm our trust in a holy God, in Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords, as our Saviour, the one who has given everything for us that we can trust. If you want to be strong and courageous, we need to see who he truly is. Then bow the knee and say to him, command me. That's what we need to say. This morning, I'm aware that many of us, we come as part of the human condition. That's why the Bible says, do not fear. So many times across the scriptures, we are gripped, paralyzed by fear. We are trying to control things, hang on to things. And Jesus comes to us this morning, speaking through Joshua chapter 5. He said, would you come? Would you lay down your plans? Would you bow the knees? Surrender afresh to me. Remember who I am and allow me to lead you. Allow me to direct you. Rest in me, the one who fights for you. Will you join with me as we pray ask God to help us here? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it speaks so practically, Lord, so specifically into our own circumstances and um, Lord, this is for all of us here this morning. We want to come before you. We thank you for this word that speaks to us again of who you are, mighty warrior, sovereign king, holy one, so far above and beyond. And yet despite this, you stepped in to the brokenness of our world. You gave your very life, servant king, for us. Oh, what love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of the living god too too much for us to comprehend but lord we want to affirm this morning we want to come to you not as our advisor or our consultant we want to bow the knee and come to you as our king lord jesus and lord where there's been fear and worry and things are paralyzed us, lord holding on to things lord we lay it down afresh this morning we affirm you are the king of our lives as your church, Lord, we affirm you're the king of your church. Lead us, direct us, guide us as we pe- as your people, we pray. And as we do that, Lord, oh, we look forward to the things, the mighty things you want to do in and through our lives. Walls that are going to come tumbling down, Lord. Miracles that you're going to do. Generations that we bless blessed to come. Forgive us, Lord, where we've allowed our fear to hold us back from following you in faith and obedience. This morning we come humbly before you, surrendering afresh to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.